Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Oranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Tuesday, November 22nd. I'm your host, Terry Oranga, on Autism One, a Conversation of Hope. Our headliner today is Deb Catron, a former school teacher sharing this day, the second anniversary of her being paralyzed by the flu shot. Deb is at therapy right now and will be joining us at the second segment. Before that, we ask you this. Are you sick and tired of you and your children being sick and tired? Do you want to take back your health, your choice, your voice? Here with us today from the Canary Party, Executive Director Ginger Taylor and world-renowned author and physician Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Then Deb Catron and her daughter Amy Catron McCarty will share what happened to Deb and how Amy helped her mother, who is bedridden to this day. First up, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, author of many books and DVDs, including Flu and Flu Vaccines, What's Coming Through That Needle, Fowl, Bird Flu, Saying No to Vaccines, which has over 350 medical references, and more. You can find Dr. Tenpenny at her clinic, Osteomed 2 in Ohio, and her website, drtenpenny.com. Welcome, Dr. Tenpenny. Thank you. Good afternoon. Dr. Tenpenny, we'll talk about the toxins in the flu shot and the known adverse effects of flu vaccines shortly, but let's start with the fallacy of effectiveness, which translates into ineffectiveness of flu shots. Do they work at all? Do they work for the populations they're pushed most heavily for, the elderly, the ill, the babies? And would those be the very same populations that would be most vulnerable to harm from the toxins? Well, we've known since 2005 when the Cochrane Collaboration did a thorough review of flu and flu shots, which they've done twice now, but they have looked at all of the studies ever published on the effectiveness of flu shots, meaning we have to define effectiveness. And this circumstance they're talking about when you get a shot, does it keep you from getting sick? And they looked at infants and children, since they are now recommending flu shots starting at six months of age. They looked at middle-aged adults, which would be teenagers through maybe 55 or 60, ostensibly getting flu shots to keep them from getting sick and having missed days from work. And then they looked at senior citizens, people over the age of 65. And in all three groups of those of those of that population, what they found was that after reviewing 117 different studies, that the conclusion was the flu shot was no more effective in keeping you from getting the flu than getting a shot of sterile water. So if you're a baby, a middle-aged adult, a child, or a senior citizen, that you could get a shot of sterile water and it would be as effective as keeping you from getting the flu as from getting a flu shot. 
Oh, my gosh. And I would uh, think that it would be a lot safer to get the sterile water. Yeah, and they recently came out with another meta-study where they, this just came out probably in the last maybe six weeks or less, where they looked at all of the different um, flu shots. They did another meta-analysis, which means they looked at all of the conclusions of all the flu shots and they looked at all the data. And once again, they said that maybe the flu shots were effective maybe 50% of the time, like 50-50. Well, you know, you could say the same thing. You could flip a coin and say, I might get a flu shot. If I get a flu shot, I'll get sick. If I get a flu shot, I won't get sick. If I get a flu shot, I will get sick. I mean, if it's that ineffective, there's so many other ways that you can keep yourself healthy and keep from getting the flu. And oh, by the way, what's so terrible about getting the flu for two or three days? It's a recoverable disease. Right. And again, um, with the populations for which the flu shot is most heavily pushed, the, the sick, the elderly, babies, are they the most vulnerable to harm from the toxins? Well, I'm, su- I'm sure that they are. And when you define toxins, I mean, we're actually talking about what the vaccine ingredients are, and there's a very long list of them. And so if people are already immunocompromised, they're already ill, they're already on medications that are probably compromising their immune system, They've, they're on inhalers for asthma and inhalers for, for um, COPD and a long list of medications for hypertension, um, and the list goes on and on, that those people are going to be already compromised. So now when you inject into their body three strains of viruses, uh, traces of eggs, something called beta-prophylactone, which is a known, a known carcinogen, formaldehyde, polysorbate 80, Tritonex 100, which is a detergent, various antibiotics, and one of the main things that is a real concern is latex because half of the flu shots have latex in them and half do not. And I don't think that people realize that sometimes they can have a serious reaction from the flu shot because they're reacting to the latex. So those people who are already who are already compromised are probably going to be at higher risk of developing some sort of a side effect than someone who is not. Okay, so you've talked about some of the contaminants in the vaccine, some of the toxins, and what's the biological plausibility behind these ingredients or the mechanisms of action of the vaccine in and of itself um, causing grievous neurological and other physiological damage? Um, Those sorts of things are um, all potentially reactive, and I think that some of the things, like particularly the mercury that's still in the flu shots, the latex that's still that's in many of the flu shots, the formaldehyde, um, I think that the plausibility is that many of those things can cause cell death. And cell death can be crossing the blood-brain barrier. It can be attaching to the spinal cord and, I've, and, and causing inflammation. Um, there's not a whole lot written about biological mechanism of how this happens. There's quite a few case reports and a lot of studies that, that say, yes, clearly vaccines involved with developing transverse myelitis and that they can trigger this. Um, I think that what happens is the ingredients from the um, from the vaccine get uh, they adhere to the spinal cord, and then that becomes an inflammatory reaction. The body develops an antibody to this foreign substance that's in your it's in your bloodstream that shouldn't be there, and you develop this severe re- hyperreactivity with numbness and and pain and sensory and motor dif- difficulties, and and that and it just destroys the myelin sheath and starts to break down the coating around the nerves due to chronic inflammation, and that's really, in a nutshell, what transverse myelitis is about. Okay, and what you're saying, Dr. Tenpenny, is reminding me of squalene and anthrax vaccine, and I don't know if any of that is in the flu shot, but you know, that pretty much um, causes an autoimmune reaction where you end, your body ends up eating the fat around its own brain cells. 
that sounds like what you're describing. Yeah, it's in the it's in the same category. Squalene is not in flu shots, at least not to my knowledge, and not any of the current ones that are on the market. I mean, they've got eight flu shots on the market, and they're constantly developing new ones, which I just find quite amusing. But we know that the vaccines that have been involved with transverse myelitis are not only the flu shot, the hepatitis B vaccine, the tetanus vaccine, and the MMR, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, have all been reported in the medical literature and through vaccine compensation and have been awarded vaccine compensation for transverse myelitis being triggered by those vaccines. Now, we hear a lot about mercury, samarosol. Do all flu shots contain mercury? And if not, can even those without it cause harm? And are there any pediatric uh, flu shots out there that still contain it? Uh, is it being given to pregnant women? Um, the mercury is, is, is out of most of the other vaccines, but you still have mercury in the, in the flu shots, and particularly the two types of flu shots that are used the most commonly in the U.S., which is fluvirin and the adult flu zone. I mean, flu zone is the, is, the, is the name of the flu shot that is most commonly used in children and in pediatrics. Flu zone is by Sanove Pasteur. The adult version has mercury. The pediatric version does not. Um, the Novartis is the other major one that's used called flu, fluvirin. That definitely still has the full amount of mercury in it. Um, it, it varies depending on some manufacturers. The multi-dose flu shots have mercury. The single-dose flu shots often don't, but you actually have to ask your pediatrician or your doctor if whether to visibly see the package insert yourself to know what the ingredients are. But here's the thing, Terry. I mean, you know, over the years, over the last probably eight to ten years, there's been an enormous amount of, of um, uh, evaluation and study and back and forth, all this, all this focus on mercury being in vaccines. Mercury is just one of many toxic ingredients in vaccines. So when you take the mercury out, does that make a safe vaccine? The answer is no. Does it make the vaccine somewhat safer? Well, certainly. If you have 12 poisons in a pot and you take out one of the poisons, I suppose it's a little bit safer, but it doesn't make it safe. And so I think that people need to be very much aware of the fact that the whole complex of vaccine injury, autism, asthma, allergies, ADD, ADHD, even cancer, insulin-dependent diabetes, all these different diseases that have been reported in the medical literature um, to have some association with vaccines. It's not just about the mercury, and I've been saying that for years. Right, and the news has has picked on that and concentrated on that as if um, the other contaminants, toxins, ingredients in vaccines, and the vaccine mechanisms themselves uh, with ingredients putting the immune system into overdrive, we're safe. We know that when the mercury went down, the aluminum went up, and that's uh, that's very bad. That's very injurious. Um, did you want to comment about the aluminum? And um, I think you've made the point that even if flu shot, a flu shot didn't contain mercury, it could still cause harm. Yeah, interestingly enough, there's not aluminum is not in flu shots. It's in a lot of other vaccines. We, you know, I'm sure you've had guests on talking an awful lot about Gardasil and how much aluminum is in Gardasil, and how much aluminum is in other types of vaccines. But flu shots, um, if, if there's one good thing we can say about them, kind of tongue-in-cheek, is that at least they don't have aluminum. <laughs> oh, my. Um, well, let's, <laughs> let's talk about what happened to Deb Catron. She was almost out of the woods with cancer, and she was given a flu shot on her way out of the hospital. She had a pulmonary embolism in 10 to 15 minutes, 
and transverse myelitis paralysis shortly thereafter. Dr. Tenpenny, how does this happen? I think you've alluded to it earlier. Um, this woman was already severely compromised. I'm assuming that she went through chemo, radiation, possibly surgery. She's been very sick. She was already immunocompromised. And it's beyond comprehension to me how physicians would say, oh, well, here's your, or nurses would say, oh, well, now you need to get a flu shot. It's beyond comprehension. It's like an alien takes over their brains or something and makes them think that, that flu shots are safe, effective, protective, and harmless, and, and this is the most important thing we can do to keep you from getting the flu is you've got to get this flu shot. Even though they don't work, they've shown in multiple studies that they're ineffective, and that they can cause an awful lot of harm. Yeah, you know what it is. I think it's because, um, you know, a lot of healthcare workers were, you know, forced to get the flu shot and other vaccines, and they, they probably, uh, it probably did uh, affect some neurocognitive functions there. So, um, and uh, made them recommended to uh, people who were already immunocompromised and such. So that's a good observation. Well, we know that, as Deb will tell us, that the doctor did say it was from the vaccine. He did admit it was um, a side effect of the vaccine. And um, in light of everything we've said, Dr. Tenpenny, why do you think there's such an all-out gung-ho campaign to push flu shots? You know, I get asked that question on a, on a fairly regular basis, not only about flu shots, but about all the rest of these, like the pertussis thing that happened last year about the pertussis shot. And when there's an occasional small outbreak of measles or rubella or, or mumps, that you would think it was some catastrophic thing that was happening. Uh, I, I really don't have an answer for that because it's, it, unless you just say the only way, it's all about the money because, and that just seems like such a trite answer and it's such an easy thing to say. Um, but truthfully, I, I firmly believe that the vaccine industry is the bedrock of the entire pharmaceutical industry. Vaccines are relatively inexpensive. I mean, for crying out loud, you can get your flu shot for free at Walgreens or at CVS. You get it for free. So they're relatively inexpensive. But all of the side effects that can come from any of the combinations of the 40 doses of 16 different vaccines that children get now, that they develop all of these illnesses that from a pharmaceutical company's perspective, that the real money to be made, the real money is in the drugs and the tests and the lab tests and the x-rays and the hospitalizations and all the things that are done when someone develops a side effect from a vaccine, this long list of tens of thousands of dollars of, of evaluation and workup to find out what's wrong with them instead of just going, oh, gosh, I guess that was a side effect from the vaccine. And then the hundreds or even thousands of dollars of medications that people have to take for their seizure disorders and their diabetes and all these things that are a lifelong complication from these vaccines. But that's where the real money is. That's how, why we have an $800 billion pharmaceutical industry is because a, a sizable portion of that, in my opinion, comes from treating all of these illnesses that come after people have been vaccinated. So, I mean, how many un completely unvaccinated people do you know, completely unvaccinated people that are sick? Not very many. First of all, there's not very many that are unvaccinated, but of those that are unvaccinated, how many of them are chronically sick nope. or on medication they're, or if they're, they're full right. or have had cancer? Hardly any. Right. So if, we, if we pulled the rug out from underneath the pharmaceutical industry by stopping the vaccine industry and the flu shots, it would come down like a house of cards. Yeah, the, the unvaccinated people are bright and healthy and sharp as a whip. One more exactly. question, and on Age of Autism, www.ageofautism.com, someone made a comment about how much it's cost 
family members who had side effects as a result of the flu shot. One more question, and then we're going to go to break. Dr. Tempenny, how can parents protect their children from mandated vaccines, and how can seniors protect themselves from vaccines in nursing homes? Well, first of all, there aren't any mandated vaccines yet. There are strongly pushed, strong-armed, rip-your-arm-off-and-beat-you-over-the-into-submission types of vaccines. So parents can just say, no, I'm going to keep my child healthy. I'm, I'm going to wash hands, cover their mouth, get them to bed on time, which is critically important to get adequate sleep, have their vitamin D levels tested and get their levels up above 50, preferably closer to 80, um, to use... Um, to take lots of vitamin C this winter, stay away from white sugar, which is now, you know, I've often said, that Carrie, that we don't really have a flu season. What we have is Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas with tons of white sugar and white flour products that people are eating. And then in January, when we've just gone past winter solstice, when we've got the lowest amount of sunshine of the entire year, the lowest levels of vitamin D, that's when people start getting sick with the flu in January, February, and March. Oh, my gosh, yeah, and we know that sugar compromises the immune system. So touche on, on that, on my using the word uh, mandate, everybody look up eg- exemptions. Um, your P- your uh, doctor's office and your school often won't tell you about these exemptions. Dr. Tenpenny, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Terry. And uh, let's remind everybody about Dr. Tenpenny's website, and uh, what would that be? Our office website is www.tenpennyimc.com, which is Tenpenny Integrated Medical Center. So it's tenpennyimc.com is about the clinic. We're located in Cleveland, Ohio. For information about vaccines, our vaccine website is drtenpenny.com for books and DVDs. Please join me on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash vaccine info. Got about 30,000 fans out there. Most of them are are, um, non-vaccinating parents and would be very happy to have you come and um, join into the discussion. It's a very active community. Well, thank you so much for taking your time today. We're going to go to break. We'll be back with Deb Catron here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back, and now we are joined by former school teacher Deb Katrin. And I just, Deb, I just want to thank you for sharing your time and energy to join us today. I know you just finished a therapy session, and I just want to tell you how much I admire your spirit. Well, thank you, Terry. Um, I, I'm. I just want to be able to help people. I don't want what has happened to me to happen to anyone. And I really, you know, I really appreciate your um, your hanging in there and and wanting to to help everybody else. And as I understand it, you were recovering from cancer. You were almost out of the woods. And on your way out of the hospital, you were given a flu shot. What happened next? Um, I started to walk into the bathroom, and I, I felt like I was going to fall. And I, I tried to tell the nurse I'm falling, and it came out gibberish, and uh, I, I fell to the floor and woke up. I don't know how many hours later and was told that I had had a massive pulmonary embolism. So within 10 to 15 minutes, you had this massive pulmonary embolism and you needed to be operated on. Did you wake up after you'd been operated on? After the operation, yes. If I had not been in the hospital, um, I would have died. If I if I had been given this shot at Walgreens or or one of the other places where they give you vaccinations, um, I would be dead today. Well, I'm I'm really glad that you're here with us in general, and for your daughter Amy and her family, and in general, and to share um, to so kindly and graciously share this information with listeners. So you had the operation for the pulmonary embolism, and then you were at your sister's house. Was the embolism the end of the adverse effects from the flu vaccine? No. Um, I didn't know it at the time. When I went back to my sister's house, I was in intense pain that I figured it was just from the, the cancer treatments, but my back hurt so bad that there was nothing that that eased the pain at all, and I started falling for no reason. Um, I started using a walker, and I would still fall, and I didn't know it at the time, but both of these are precursors to transverse myelitis. So um, how long did it take... Uh before you were paralyzed and bedridden? Um, about four weeks. Okay, so immediately, 10 to 15 minutes after the shot, you had a massive pulmonary embolism, and then uh, within four weeks, you were paralyzed. How do you know, Deb, that your problems came from the flu vaccine and not the cancer treatment? What did the doctor say about the flu vaccine and your paralysis? Well, when I woke up and was paralyzed, 
um, I was immediately taken to the hospital, and um, I I had no idea what was going on, but the doctor came in and asked if I had been given a flu shot, and I said yes, and he said, well, the transverse myelitis is a side effect of the flu shot. The doctor actually came right out, volunteered, asked you if you'd had a flu shot? Yes. Wow. And he was just very matter-of-fact about it. Well, this is a side effect of the flu shot. Um, Nobody told me that before they asked if they could give me the flu shot. I I had no I, I had never even heard of transverse myelitis prior to, you know, going in paralyzed. You're talking about the pain that you felt. Um, what do you think that was attributable to? Do you think it was because your neurological system was being attacked, neurological pain? Um, I, I imagine that's probably it. If you talk to uh, people who have transverse myelitis, the incredible pain is part of it. Um, I was in so much pain there at the end that I was actually sleeping, sitting up on the couch because to lay down it, it was too much. I couldn't stand the pain. Let's let's take a step back for a little while, Deb. Tell us what your life was like before this happened to you from the flu vaccine. Did you lead an active life? You were a school teacher. You're obviously very intelligent. I I was I loved my job. I had I had started school that year, two years ago, um, after having back surgery six weeks earlier. I had told my my back surgeon that I was going to be there on the first day of school no matter what and I, I was there. Um I went up three flights of stairs every day to go to work. Um, I loved my job. There there was nothing else I ever wanted to do in my life but teach. And um, when I found out on um, September 10th that I had cervical cancer, I had no intention of quitting. I took a leave of absence while I was undergoing um, the chemo and the radiation, um, but planned on returning by Thanksgiving, and obviously that didn't happen. And this is the two-year anniversary? Today is the two-year anniversary of, of my paralysis, yes. Deb, let's talk about some historical perspective for a moment. You were a school teacher. Do you remember so many kids being so sick and having such learning challenges when you began teaching? Do you know when I began teaching 35 years ago, I don't remember that many children having the problems that children have today. Um, you would have one, maybe, maybe two children that had ADHD. Um, but but that was it. And nowadays, there are there are quite a few children out there who have all sorts of problems, and it's 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 mind boggling how 
in 35 years, things have gone downhill. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what, that's what I've been saying. That's what I remember. In, in our whole school, we had maybe one kid who was quiet, one kid who acted like Fonzie Fonzarelli, and, you know, a, a troublemaker here or there. But, well, and, and when I went to school, which was many years ago, I, I don't remember, I remember in all of my years of being in school, I remember one child who probably had ADHD, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember kids being sick when I no. went to school. I don't remember 50% of the class up and down like jack-in-the-boxes. Deb, you have a grandson who has an autism label. Do you think that there's any connection between the type of situation that you're going through right now and the epidemic of chronic health and neurodevelopmental problems facing kids today as well as chronic health problems facing adults? I do. Um, You know, before being stricken with this, I never even thought about the flu shot. I never... I never bothered to find out what was in it. It was just one of those things where you get it every year, you know, you go get the flu shot. But I'm just floored when I look at the ingredients in vaccines and I wonder to myself what quote-unquote intelligent person said, let's put mercury in this and see what happens. Or let's put formaldehyde in this and see what happens. Um, if you drop a small drop of mercury in a building, you have to evacuate it. And, and somebody out there thought it was a good idea to put this stuff in the vaccines, and it, it just it, it boggles my mind who in the world would ever, ever want to put something like that into a human being. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, and you, you talk to, to various people, and when they find out that there was mercury in vaccines, they, they, they say, hey, you know, we learned in, in biology class that that was bad. Yeah. So here are the people responsible for our health. And to be asleep at the switch and maybe make a mathematical computation error or were not even to add it up at all, you know, that's bad, but that's one thing. But then not rectifying the situation afterwards and not helping right. people who've been affected. That's, uh, these are horrible things. Well, I think, Deb, that you and I grew up in the midst of the last century socialized into a sort of unknowing bliss. Has your perspective about how our world works changed with what you've seen happen to you and your grandson? The, I, I'm, I'm very afraid for the younger generation. I'm, I'm just, I just cannot believe that money is the be-all, end-all for a lot of these drug companies out there. Um, you, would, you would hope that there would be people in these companies that have a heart and that would truly want to help people, but I don't see it happening. I don't see these companies going, oh, my gosh, we've got some bad stuff in, in these vaccines, and, and let's find another way. It's just it's all about the almighty dollar, and 
and, you know, the heck with humanity. They're not fixing it. They're not making it better. They're not rectifying the situation. They're covering it up. They're continuing it. They're perpetuating it, and they're making it worse. And well, I'm not only afraid for the younger generation, I'm afraid for the older generation, because who's going to be left who's yeah. able to clearly think to take care of all of the youngsters and the elderly persons who are being adversely affected? Well, here's, an, here's another thing that bothers me. I've spent a lot of time the past two years in the hospital, and I talked to, I saw many, many, many nurses, and I asked every one of them, do you get the flu shot? And do you know that not one of them said yes, but now hospitals are forcing these nurses to to take the flu shot, and I think that's wrong? It is wrong. And advocates are trying to to secure and defend the health freedom and the health choice rights of of all citizens, parents for their children and adults for themselves. Well, Deb, um, I really appreciate your speaking with us today. Do you have any further take-home messages you'd like to share with us before Amy joins us? I just want I just want everybody to be educated and then make their own choice about vaccines. It should be a personal choice, but I think everybody... I wish I had been educated before getting the flu shot because, honestly, I would rather get the flu than live the rest of my life the way I'm going to have to. Well, Deb, thank you very much for being with us and sharing this perspective with our listeners. You're welcome. Is Amy is Amy with us? She's on her way over here right now. Okay. Bye. Thank you, Deb. Hello. Hi, Amy. Your mom, who just so kindly spoke with us, has been bedridden for two years. Yes. What kinds of health complications has this caused, and how have you helped your mother with these? Well, when she came down with the transverse myelitis, uh, she was still going through her cancer treatment. Uh, It had to be put on hold, of course, because of the pulmonary embolism and then the transverse myelitis. Um, And while, when she came down with the transverse myelitis, she was given a high dose of steroids, uh, which is one of the treatments for transverse myelitis. They refused to do plasmapheresis on her, which I was pushing for, uh, because uh, her team of doctors was convinced that she was going to die anyways. So when I finally got her home from the hospital when she came down with the TM, which was December 11th of 09, she came home, I immediately started with nutrition. Nutrition, your body should be able to do the job it was given if it is in a proper state. Everyone needs to remember, go back to the basics. Let your body heal instead of pushing medications. When she came home from the hospital, she was on 25 
different medications, all with various side effects. Uh, we cut them down to, I believe, eight that were absolutely necessary. And what I started out with was balancing her pH levels in her body. She was very acidic, which, which we all know um, not only promotes yeast growth, but it gives a very, very good environment for cancer cells to grow. So I balanced it with a $2, bottle, $2 box of baking soda. She got a teaspoon of that in the morning and a teaspoon at night. And I went to you know, the store and just bought the regular pH testing strips and would test her saliva and urine to get her completely balanced. From there, um, you know, with the, she had a feeding tube. And so a lot of her supplements we did through the feeding tube. I told her she just needed to rest. That was her job, was to rest. Um, so she got all of her nutrition through her feeding tube, and I made sure she was getting enough calories a day to be able to battle everything that was going on. Um, these supplements I used because when they did the steroid treatment, we all know that that your immune system takes a beating from steroids. They also had her on high-dose antibiotics, which fed the yeast in her body. So the complication arose from all of the antibiotic use. She, besides the transverse myelitis, she was battling a systemic yeast infection that was taking over every organ of her body. Um, the hospital refused to listen to me that it was a systemic yeast infection. Um, she smelled. She was throwing random fevers. They couldn't figure it out. But she smelled of sweet bread, and I knew that that was yeast. But they wouldn't listen to me. Finally, after networking online and talking to lots of people I got the exact test that was needed to test for a systemic yeast infection, and I demanded that that be done. And lo and behold, it was, but it wasn't. It was a very rare form of yeast. It was Candida glabrata, which is very deadly if not treated. And then to treat it is very deadly. The hospital wasn't able to treat that, so they sent her home to me stating there was nothing further that they could do and she needed to be put on hospice. And they gave her, at that point, which was August of last year, they gave her three weeks to live. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Amy, mm -hmm. we're going to pick up with this when we come okay. back from break because obviously you have done the most wonderful job and Deb is with us in good spirits and mm -hmm. with us today, thankfully. We will be back from break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back talking about Deb Katrin, who was paralyzed by the flu shot two years ago, and we're here with her daughter, Amy Katrin McCarty. And, um, Amy, I just wanted to comment that um, I had interviewed Melissa Ellingson on this show uh, a while ago, and she had received two vaccines and also ended up um, where they told her mother to get her personal effects in order because she was going to die, and she had just had a baby, too, wasn't even able to hold her baby. But she was given... Uh, plasmapheresis and, and IV, IG, I believe, in a really good neurological hospital in the Southwest, and she, she actually recovered. I'm so sorry they wouldn't give your mother plasmapheresis. They should never prophesy that somebody's going to die like that and not give them the chance to recover. They told us many times that my mother was not going to survive. Um, based on their medicine, uh, they believed that she would not make it. They refused to listen to me about fixing the problem, fixing her body, instead of putting a Band-Aid over it and giving her more medication. Um, from the start, from day one, they refused to listen to me. And it was always a battle. Every time I would get her out of the hospital and back into my care, <clears throat> I would have to do quite a bit to fix what they damaged. Um, Every time she had to go into the hospital, they ignored my suggestion that it was systemic candidiasis for five months. So for five months, the yeast grew in my mother, and they did nothing about it. Um, It had taken over her lungs It had collapsed one of her lungs under the weight. She was losing eyesight. It was, she had spots on her brain, which was yeast. And she was no longer my, my mom. Her personality had changed. It had completely changed her. How did you get her better from the yeast, Amy? And I understand you also did really novel or uh, wonderful things to, to get rid of the large open sores that she developed? Yes. 
um, she had very large bed sores from, they didn't want to move her. When she had the TM, they didn't move her for about a week because they didn't know exactly what it was. So she formed a bed sore, which got worse. And then, because she was in the hospital, she contracted MRSA. And with this MRSA, it had gotten in her bed sore, which was at, uh, it's called a sacral wound. So it's right at the top of your, your, your butt. They had to remove her tailbone because the MRSA had gotten into her tailbone. So they had to surgically remove her tailbone. When she came out of the surgery and they cleaned her all out, this bed sore, I could fit one of those mini basketballs. I could fit a mini basketball into her back, and it would, it would have set about halfway out. I could wrap my finger around her spine. This hospital was going to send her home with me in three days to care for. That scared me. I'm glad they did. I treated this large bed sore with the MRSA in my home with colloidal silver. The colloidal silver on the wound bed and her ingesting it, I believe, is what really helped to kill all of the, the bacteria, parasites, everything in her body. And, and the candidiasis? Um, the, the yeast, the candidiasis, was, I treated that with grapefruit seed extract. And then, of course, that was the kill dose. The kill dose in the morning was grapefruit seed extract, colloidal silver, and then, of course, I really upped all of her vitamins. Her body needed all the nutrition that it could get to fight this. At night, we let her stomach rest, which they never did in the hospital. She had a feeding tube that dripped slowly formula 24 hours a day. Her gut was never allowed to rest. They never flushed her gut with water either. They always said, you know, there's water in the formula. So here you have this yeast. Her gut was never allowed to rest. It was being fed 24 hours a day. So at night, she would get nothing but water going through her gut to flush it out, and I would push probiotics. And the probiotics that we used that worked for her the best was 3-LAC, and then we used the Chiodophilus 9 blend with the enzymes. And that was the healing portion. So that was all done at night when she was resting. I've got to say, this is all pretty incredible, and I don't mean incredible, unbelievable. It's incredible in a good way. I, you know, I've said that MD stands for Mother Determined, mm-hmm. and so, you, you know, you're a mother to your son, but you're certainly a mother determined. This is, you're, this is just incredible. So Deb has obviously survived, and you've mm-hmm. taken care of the candidiasis, you've taken care of the MRSA, you've taken care of the bed sores, you've done it with natural things, you've done it economically, you've done it thoughtfully, and with great, with great love. And yes. um, is there anything that we're missing here before we speak with Ginger? Um, coming from a caregiver's point of view, 
I just want to stress, if your loved one ever has to go into the hospital, follow your gut and don't ever take the first answer as the last answer, as the final answer. If it doesn't sound right to you and is not agreeable, ask for another opinion and fight to get that opinion. We have to be our children's and our parents' advocates. Amy, how has this impacted your family? Well, I had to, I lost my job. Ironically, I worked at Walgreens in the IT department. When I asked for a leave of absence to care for my mother, they didn't believe that my mother needed a caregiver and ended up terminating me. Um, so it impacted us financially. I then, you know, lost my income. My mother had to move in with me, so she was supporting my special needs child, myself, my other daughter, and all of her medical needs on her income alone. So it has affected us financially, um, but emotionally and we're, we're stronger for it. Even my children are much stronger for it. My children are now caregivers. My, my son, who has Asperger's, um, I was running late coming back from the store. He came home, got off the bus, and my mom was here. I came in about 10 minutes after he had arrived home, and he, kept, he said, um, at, we need, Nanny needs her sugar stretches. And I didn't understand what he was saying. And so about the third time after he reminded me, I said, I don't understand what you're saying. What are you saying? And he said, on Nanny's, we have a whiteboard in her room with her routine of what she's supposed to do each day. And at 4 o'clock, it says sugar check and stretches. And he became the caregiver when I was absent. He knew that at 4 o'clock, my mom needed her to check her sugar and to do her stretches. So my children have really grown, and that is the one blessing that we can take out of this, besides my mom being alive. My children know what true love is and what devotion is and being determined and how to fight for health. Well, Amy, thank you for sharing that with us. And we're going to talk now with Ginger Taylor, the Executive Director of the Canary Party. Ginger, uh, listening to Deb Catron and Amy Catron McCarty, I can definitely say, imagine that that's one family who should really be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Is that what the Canary Party is about? How many children are sick? Why are so many children and adults sick? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what this is about. And, and, and hearing the story, it is so, it's so upsetting. It's so encouraging as well as, as, you know, as their family becomes yet another family who learns to kind of take their health back and, and not just sign it over to, um, you know, what has become kind of a medical machine. Um, I have a, a one friend who's a physician who kind of calls it dock in the box, that you just get this prepackaged and you get what you get and it may kill you, may make you better. Um, but it's the system you have to fit into, and it's not fitted to you and your your health and your needs. Um, and you know, because we have a system that has uh, been corrupted in so many ways, you know, financially with you know, kind of pol- politics and power and 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 things that 
what we're seeing, not just in stories like this that, you know, they're shocking to hear, but we know how, we know hundreds of stories like this. You know, I, I was a, uh, one of the co-authors and on, uh, I'm a contributing editor on the book Vaccine Epidemic, and I was the editor for the kind of the personal story. So Zeta Pingle's uh, Gardasil injury story and Lisa Mark Smith's um, flu shot injury story and, and all these common threads of, of, of what it's like, you know, when you have a vaccine injury and, and trying to get real care and trying to get correct diagnosis, um, it has become out of control. And what it's led to is this kind of epidemic of uh, chronic health problems in this country. Um, I've been writing for years. I have a little blog called Adventures in Autism, and I've been writing for years about, okay, well, we know that 1% of the population has autism. We know that, um, you know, 18% of the patient population has developmental disability. You know, how many that doesn't include diabetes or asthma or all of the chronic conditions that, are we, that we're seeing so often now that we, none of us saw in our friends in childhood. And one of the questions I've been asking for years is, how many kids, the question really should be, how many kids are still healthy? Yeah, I, really. I didn't think that was a question that would ever be answered. And then last spring, uh, Pediatrics, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics Medical Journal, published a study of more than 90,000 children across the country um, in conjunction with CDC and public health, state public health officials and universities looking at the total health outcomes of kids in this country. And they found that 43% of children suffered one of the top 20 chronic illnesses like diabetes, asthma, these things that we're discussing, that, and that when you added in obesity and developmental disabilities or delay, that accounted for 54.1% of the population. And that did not include cancers. It didn't include SIDS. It didn't include any of the, you know, kind of smaller things that are rare. So right now, any woman who is pregnant really should be worried because that baby has a less than 50-50 chance of just being a normal weight, developmentally appropriate, healthy child. And what's really upsetting about that study when it came out um, last spring is the conclusion of the study was not, oh, my God, what is happening? We need to stop everything, reevaluate, and figure out what's going on. It was a very blasé study that, that concluded, well, gosh, then these kids need more access to the healthcare system. And my response was, well, we need to, <laughs> the healthcare system's broken. If, the, if we're putting out children, half of the kids in this country who, are, uh, who have serious health problems, um, what are we doing? And why isn't there? Where's the alarm? And where's the um, where's the call for hearings? Where's the you know? And this is the this is the profession of pediatrics saying half the kids are sick, and we're fine with that. They just need more of us. And that was really kind of solidified it for me that um, it is time for a political solution to uh, to what we're seeing happening in healthcare, especially in children. Is that um, there's there's so much corruption in the system, and I think that, you know the vaccine program is the is the hotbed of it. It's the it's, it's the most corrupted because you can't sue because there's no uh, legal rights afforded to families to Good pursue and, and get changes in in system and prove the health uh, prove vaccine injuries in a court as you can with every other you know drug in this country. Um, right. it, it it's time to change the laws, and that's where the Canary Party was born, out of and, uh, families and, and individuals who have tried to work within the system for years and sometimes decades and who realize the system is rigged and it's time to change the system. Well, Ginger, um, thank you. I, I hear that it's our time, so I want to make sure that people can get in touch with you further about all of this. So your blog is adventuresinautism.com, correct? Yeah. And the Canary Party websites, people can get 
website, people can get to it either by the canaryparty.com or canaryparty.org. Ginger, how can the Canary Party help us and how can listeners get involved right now and help the Canary Party? Uh, well, if you're in the South, we are having a, our, a re, we're having regional conferences all over the country in Dallas the weekend of December 2nd. We will be there um, talking about uh, issues in the Southern region, talking about the Texas Medical Board and, and their pressure on good doctors. Um, that they, you know, they've kind of been harassing. Um, there are, there are about 150 million different issues that are going on in medicine right now that really come down to corruption and, and not working in patients' best interest. And we are, um, we need to get together with all the health freedom groups and the injury, medical injury groups and really form a political united front. And we are a, uh, a transpartisan group that is about making health um, and health freedom a voting issue, that you have the right to decide your own medical care, that you um, a- a- have the right to correct information in your medical decisions, including, hey, this vaccine could give you transverse myelitis. You need to factor that in. Um, and it's, it's, it's really time for the voters to, um, to, to, to change the discussion in health care um, politics, not to be about who's going to pay for it, but about what kind of corruption is going on that is causing this massive health problem and causing health costs to be so ridiculously high. Um, and it's, it, it's all of our responsibility to kind of take that issue back and make it, um, make it a part of the political discourse at the top of the, at the, top of the discussion, Excellently not just something that put. is ancillary. Excellently put, Ginger. Well, thank you, and Thanksgiving is upon us, and we're thankful to our guests today, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, Deb Katrin, Amy Katrin McCarty, and Ginger Taylor for providing this vital information to protect you and your loved ones from grievous harm. We thank this program's sponsor, OxyHealth. Our guest next week, Kim Gold, who will be talking about current trends in ADHD and ADD treatment, and you, our listeners, for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.